I'm Audrey, and you're listening to Siagra the Podcast. And radio show. With, With our dad, Jeff Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I'm pleased to be back for another episode of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show. I had to return for a special episode because I had an opportunity to interview King County Executive Dow Constantine. I had a chance to ask him how county leadership has responded to the pandemic and what the future holds for our region. And since Constantine's name has come up as a potential mayor for Seattle in this election year, I got the inside scoop on his thinking about running for the office. Also in this episode, you'll hear from Julia Nagel, a leader of architectural design at Hewitt. Together, these interviews give context to the changes in our region and what we could expect for the future ahead. I was able to conduct a safe, socially distanced interview with Julia Nagel thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio. Before we get to these informative interviews and the exciting news shared within them, I'm pleased to announce that I have launched the Product Management Center at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. It's an interdisciplinary collaboration as we aim to develop the next generation of product leaders. If you are in product management or interested in getting into product management, check out the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. The Product Management Center is a hub for knowledge, community, and impact. We've got the Foster the Product events the first Thursday of every month, and we're having an inclusive product management summit on May 7th, where you can learn to drive growth by managing more inclusive teams and building more inclusive products. We've got outstanding speakers from Amazon, T-Mobile, VMware, the College of Engineering, the Information School, and the Foster School of Business. It's going to be a fantastic experience where you can learn from the best and learn from each other. So that's the Inclusive Product Management Summit on May 7th. Go to foster.uw.edu slash inclusive PM. That's foster.uw.edu slash inclusive PM to learn more about the Inclusive Product Management Summit, open to the whole community of current and aspiring product leaders. Now, to hear more about the future of King County and whether Dow Constantine will be running for mayor, join me as I sit down with our King County Executive. I am here with King County Executive Dow Constantine, second time on Seattle Growth Podcast and lots to talk about as this county is changing through the pandemic. Executive Constantine, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, uh, I'm the executive of the 12th largest county in the country uh, and have been for a bit I uh, served in the county council and the legislature before that, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a native Seattleite, grew up here in West Seattle, in fact, live uh, right around the corner from my folks' house uh, on our little dead end. I went to West Seattle High School and the University of Washington, where I earned uh, degrees in political science and law, and uh, relevant to your podcast, also in urban planning, a master's degree in urban planning, and been really fascinated with and committed to uh, the welfare and growth of my city and region uh, for my entire adult life. So it's exciting to be able to be here and discuss some of the uh, current issues with you. And for those new to civics, what does a King County executive do in just a, a short nutshell? Yeah, so I'm the mayor of the county, essentially. Uh, I am in charge of uh, all the departments that provide all the services and infrastructure uh, for 2.3 million people. Uh, Seattle is our largest city, but it is only one of 39 cities. Seattle's just for scale. Uh, Seattle's about one third of the population of King County. Now let's transition to talk about the pandemic and what has that meant for your office? Can you walk us through kind of the scramble from the early days of the pandemic 
and kind of how the pandemic is continuing to shape what you do and, and how you're responding to it? Yeah, well, it's, it's important to remember that King County was the first place uh, with a, a genuine outbreak of the then called novel coronavirus in the United States. It was in a nursing home in Kirkland. I was in Washington, D.C. and got the call uh, that I had to hurry home. And we announced that next morning that uh, this uh, virus that had been spotted in places around the world had arrived in the United States. We had no playbook. We had very little help from our national government. We had to make it up as we went. And fortunately, we have one of the finest local public health departments in the country. So we uh, listened to the scientists. We followed their advice. We uh, really rallied um, business community and uh, people to uh, drive down the rate of infection. And as a result, even though it arrived here first, and even though we didn't have a roadmap, uh, we have managed to achieve the second lowest rate of infection of any metropolitan region in the country, second only to the Honolulu, uh, Oahu County area. Uh, I'm really pleased with that, but it's really a tribute to the people of our region that they are so community-minded and that unlike many around the country, they have not yet rejected science, but in fact, take the doctor's advice seriously. And aside from the low infection rates, is there anything that you're proud of in terms of how the county responded to the crisis? Well, I, uh, I said right from the start that we all needed to be in this together and we needed to protect the most vulnerable. And among those who are most likely to become infected are those living in congregate settings. So yes, in, in senior living facilities as in the Kirkland Nursing Home, uh, but also in homeless encampments and homeless shelters and also in detention facilities. And so we moved to quickly um, reduce the population and spread out people in our jails. And unlike almost every other jail in the country, we've largely avoided outbreaks uh, in the adult and juvenile detention facilities. And we also moved homeless people out of congregate shelters where they sleep uh, sort of next to each other on the floors and then are kicked out in the morning and, and rented hotels in cities, including in Renton. And by doing that, we dramatically reduced the rate of infection among those who are living homeless, um, so much so that it is really uh, as good or better than in the population as a whole. Uh, the real interesting lesson out of that was that these folks not only avoided the coronavirus, but they got better generally. They were able to have their own room, to get a full night's sleep, to take a shower in the morning, not to have to worry about their things being stolen, and they began to get recentered and better able to accept the additional help that is being provided by nonprofit organizations. So do you see that as the pandemic pushed the county to kind of uncover something that could live beyond the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it made and also allowed us to do things that previously have not been possible. Uh, we would have had to go through years of uh, hand wringing before we were able to acquire an entire hotel to move folks into. But because of the emergency, we simply had to do it and the results were remarkable. So we've now created an entire initiative called Health Through Housing, where we're pulling forward $350 million to acquire hotels that are now in distress because of the collapse in the tourism industry and use those to house people who have been chronically homeless, including the very people you see uh, in the parks, on the streets, under the overpasses, they can now have a place of their own. And we're moving to purchase hundreds of those units 
in just the next few months. And then let's talk about things you wish you didn't do. Um, anything in the last year, either in the early days of the response or more recently, that if you could do it all again, uh, you kind of learned something that would shape how you go going forward or how you'd face some of the crises that, that could come to us in the future? Yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And uh, even then, you're not quite sure how events would have unfolded if you'd done things differently. Um, I do wish that schools would have stayed in session a little longer and that we would have provided uh, in the school buildings the uh, supervision and opportunity for kids who either need, uh, have special needs or uh, kids whose parents absolutely have to work, essential workers, to be able to be there and be safe in that environment and continue learning that environment. While most kids, like my own six-year-old daughter, uh, are doing okay uh, remotely at home. Um, of course, we all wish we knew more about the virus when it began. People were very, very focused on uh, a virus on surfaces and so forth. But uh, nationally and, and with local public health folks, nobody really knew about the importance of face masks. Well, now we know that is maybe the most important thing you can do short of uh, you know, obvious uh, avoiding people who are not part of your household. Uh, and so that was something that, you know, had we known it earlier, might have avoided some infections. But people here have really taken to the, the mask mandate well, I think. Um, and, you know, finally, I think that, that better being able to equip people early to be productive remotely. There was this huge round of layoffs, a swoon in the economy, but things have have climbed back as people have figured out how to do the things that they were doing differently, do them remotely, do them safely. Uh, you know, when this happens again, and I'm afraid that in this modern world, it is going to happen again, uh, we should be much better prepared to move more quickly to allow people to stay on their feet economically as well as stay healthy. So you talked about several things that you, if you could go back and improve. Could you talk a little bit about the role that you could have played in that? Or uh, would you have needed the council, the King County Council to be able to, so what role could you as a King County executive have done to help with the education uh, and to, to help with those other elements you discussed? Well, we're, we're not the boss of education. Uh, as you know, in Washington state schools are run by separate governments, uh, school districts and their boards. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, things change when there's an emergency and whether you're the mayor, the county executive, the governor, the president, if you declare an emergency, you acquire authorities to do things in the short term that don't require uh, the lengthy legislative process. What we will do now is be able to uh, do a post-game post, post uh, uh, analysis on all of this and put in place at the county the protocols, which uh, will include council approval, to be able to quickly deploy uh, aid to folks uh, the next time a pandemic happens. What we don't need is for people to be displaced and end up uh, in housing insecurity, falling into homelessness, et cetera. What we need is for people to be able to remain as stable as possible and keep the economy rolling uh, so that we can exit uh, the pandemic more quickly. I think we have put ourselves in a very strong position for a very strong recovery. And our goal which is different than simply going back to normal, is to take this really confluence of crises and use it as a pivot point into a community and society where more people have opportunity, where there is more equity and the chance for everyone to get ahead, not just those who are 
born lucky or, or have uh, a, a head start in life. And, and I think that this is a moment, you know, uh, because of the coronavirus and the economic collapse and the civil rights awakening and the obvious uh, increase in climate impacts and so much more, where people are ready for real action for, to accelerate change. And that change needs to be driven in a direction that works for everybody. We're going to get to the growth and the outlook for Seattle and the region in a moment. But new this year on Seattle Growth Podcast is trivia. So we're going to spring some trivia on you. And the question I have for you uh, for this trivia question is regarding the landmass of Seattle. <laughs> so could you guess how many square miles is Seattle? And if you want to go extra bonus points, break that down by the square miles of land and the square miles of water that's included in Seattle. Oh my gosh. I mean, how would one even <laughs> to guess? Okay, let's see. How long does it take to drive from South Center to Shoreline? And how long does it take? To, well, I'm just going to go with, with uh, 225 square miles. All right, 225 square miles is the guess. We're going to leave you and the listener in suspense, uh, so that uh, we'll hang on the edge of our seats as we find out whether you're correct. What's the bonus question? Uh, oh, what what's the breakdown between land and water? Oh, water's uh, included. Yeah, we well, got a slice of Lake Washington. You got Lake Union. You got Green Lake. Got the Duwamish River, Elliott Bay. I'm going to go with uh, with mm, three quarters, one quarter. Okay. Uh, so you're taking a, a swing on both of them. Yeah. We'll see if you I mean, are, are, are a right. Wild, on a wild swing for the fences. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this was, uh, I, I found this fact courtesy of the Seattle Municipal Archives. So uh, I learned something as I looked it up and I'm pleased to put you on the spot with a random <laughs> Seattle trivia question. Uh, thanks for playing. Uh, now I want to transition from the pandemic to Seattle in general. Um, and you could uh, talk as much as you'd like at, uh, at the county level as well, since that's what you oversee. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing Seattle that's kind of developed in the last 10 months? So I know we've faced very common challenges over the last 10 years, the last decade, where there's so many, so much money and people moving in. But what unique challenges have these last, I guess it's now a year already, uh, what new, unique challenges has this last year created for Seattle and or the region? Well, I don't, I don't think there's any question that the decline in the downtown street environment, particularly the retail environment, uh, has everyone very, very worried. That has to do with the pandemic, people not shopping in person or going to restaurants in person. That also has to do with the results of uh, months of protests, including violent protests and, and vandalism. Uh, and the combination of those things uh, has uh, me and many others very worried about the future health of downtown. Now, I think they can bounce back very quickly, but it's going to take intentional action uh, by the city and others to make sure, apropos uh, my comments about homelessness, that people who are living unhoused have a place to be with the services to keep them housed. Uh, it's going to involve investment in the public infrastructure as well as aid to businesses to get the storefronts uh, cleaned up and opened and running. Uh, and it isn't going to involve uh, bringing back things like transit, which has had to be reduced 
during the uh, downturn and make sure that people have access to downtown Seattle. The same is true to an extent in neighborhoods, but uh, and we may discuss this. Some of the neighborhood business districts have actually done pretty well during this time as people have stuck closer to home. And what would you say is the biggest improvement? So uh, in this last year, has there been any uh, changes that are actually positive as there's so much uh, turbulence going around in, in Seattle and in the, the country as a whole, actually, too. I mean, I think there have been a lot of positive changes or positive changes are teed up because of this shakeup in the status quo that we've been going through. Um, you, know, you can talk about uh, things as grand as uprooting institutional racism and remaking America to be prepared to live up to its founding ideals, but I want to talk about uh, basic on the ground stuff, like the fact that uh, neighborhoods have become uh, much tighter knit. Uh, it's been my experience, and I've heard from many others, that uh, people in our neighborhood now know each other much better. Uh, as they've been at home all day, uh, their recreation is not uh, heading off to, to uh, far-flung places, but wandering around the block. Um, the people have, have become a lot more familiar with those who live around them. And I think that is a very, very good thing uh, for our city and our region. Uh, I hope that that will continue when we're all free uh, to go back to our busy scurrying around in SUVs. Uh, but the, the fact is that uh, that's something I remember fondly from my youth in my West Seattle neighborhood that I think had kind of been lost a bit. And it's something that we've um, rediscovered and that people I've talked to really value a lot. Um, the, you know, there's, there's more for sure. Uh, I think one of the things, and this is not specific to Seattle, but the, the way that people have become familiar with technological tools that allow them not only to work, but to socialize, to communicate, to stay in touch, uh, like Zoom and Teams and so forth, that, that is a benefit that is going to continue on with us, right? Uh, and it, it is going to change the way we live our lives. Uh, the, the, the comfort that people have developed in not having to be physically present for everything and still have faith that, that uh, the work's getting done uh, is, is going to provide benefits that we can't even predict yet. And so going back to the challenge, which you said was the downtown core, um, I, want, I have two questions ab about that. One is, what does the downtown of Seattle mean to King County as a whole? And then, do you think downtown will rebound when, as you said, some of the largest employers down there are realizing that their employees can work from home rather than uh, coming in where they then go to lunch, go to shops, go to happy hour, and so on? And, and King County is one of those larger employers in downtown. We have thousands and thousands of employees in downtown, primarily in that uh, sort of government zone uh, south of the Columbia Center and uh, in, in between the International District Pioneer Square and Yesler Terrace. Um, we, we have like seven blocks of downtown Seattle that um, are ripe for reimagination. Uh, I think that um, there, I mean, the, the, the fact is that we don't know what's going to happen yet, but I think people will continue to have offices downtown. I think that they will be working in a more hybrid fashion, uh, where maybe they come to the office for a group meeting, or they come to the office, uh, on certain days and on other days they may be at home or they may be 
elsewhere and still able to work. And that's one of the interesting things about this is um, now it's going to be much more possible to have a trip out of town where you're still working, to go skiing and still work, to head to the beach and still work, to go to your, your cabin and still work. Uh, and people, I, I think, will be taking advantage of that, the sort of downtown office workers. I think that there may be an opportunity here, and this is a slightly longer term uh, change for a shift in land use to a sl slightly higher percentage of residential versus office. And you know, residential is great because people patronize businesses, not just during work hours, but uh, uh, in the early morning and well into the evening. And so that could in the end be a boon for things like restaurants and bars and, and uh, stores in downtown Seattle, not to have the sidewalks roll up at five or six, but to have people out until uh, nine or 10 spending their money. Uh, and I, I do think that there is a chance here for downtown Seattle to continue its evolution into more of a neighborhood. Uh, you know, the downtown Seattle of my youth was mostly offices uh, that emptied out at five o'clock and it got eerily quiet uh, in a lot of parts of downtown. We've been pushing to get more people living downtown. It has been working. I think this may in fact end up being a time when downtown Seattle can become more like parts of other cities that we know and love. Uh, we have genuinely urban neighborhoods that are vibrant uh, with with residents, uh, you know, most hours of the day. And Seattle has had an unbelievable amount of people and money move in uh, in this past decade, uh, in the 2010 to 2020, and King County has had explosive growth as well. What do you predict for the next 10 months in terms of how much growth we could expect? And what do you expect? What do you see for the next 10 years? Will this look like the last decade? Will it be even faster or uh, should we expect something different? Well, I don't know if it could be faster than the, the last decade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's the most change I've seen in my nearly 60 years here in this town. Uh, but I do think that Seattle will continue and King County will continue to grow. Uh, what their growth looks like uh, depends on uh, what some of the major employers decide to do. I know Amazon's making a major investment on the east side, which uh, coincides with the opening of light rail to Bellevue and to Microsoft and Redmond. Um, but, you know, downtown Seattle really is the calling card for the region. This gets back to your previous question. What does downtown Seattle mean to the county? Um, it is our face to the world. Uh, to the rest of the world, uh, not just King County, but all of Central Puget Sound is Seattle. And so it is that uh, neon sign at the Pike Place Market. It is uh, Nordstrom. It is the retail district. It is um, our, our calling card. And we have to have it be the kind of uh, a face that is welcoming to the world. And I think that it will shortly be once again. Uh, and we've got to be purposeful about that. Uh, as you know, I have invested a huge amount of political capital and much of my career into trying to create the transit system we need for the entire region, knitting together downtown Seattle with all the other downtowns, large and small, uh, around a three-county area. And when we succeed in doing that and people come here for the, um, for the allure of that image of downtown Seattle, they will stay for what this entire region and all of those little neighborhood business districts and downtowns have to offer.
All right, so I want to throw just a quick curveball here. We are in an election year, and your name has surfaced as uh, somebody who could potentially be the next Seattle mayor. Uh, do you feel like announcing a, a candidacy here on Seattle Growth Podcast? Well, uh, I have been asked by more than a few people if I'm interested in or if I would please run for mayor. And, you know, that is a product of people's nervousness about the state of downtown and the city in general and the fact that um, I've been a pretty steady hand at the wheel here at the county over time. Um, I think that good candidates will emerge who can uh, revitalize the city, uh, bring more consensus around where we need to head as a city and be good regional partners. And, you know, uh, I'm really pleased with the work we're doing at the county uh, and that is highly relevant to what goes on inside Seattle, including on transit and on homelessness and housing and uh, myriad other issues. And so my preference is to run for re-election and continue and accelerate that regional work uh, and work with a strong partner in the city of Seattle. Uh, the temptation, obviously, to try to swoop in and be the hero. Uh, here I am to save the day like Mighty Mouse. It certainly exists for any politician, uh, but I, uh, I'm happy running for re-election for the Office of King County Executive, and that is going to be my plan uh, as far as I'm concerned from this point forward. All right, so we're not getting the breaking news here on Seattle Growth Podcast, but we are getting some insight into the uh, future of Seattle and the region and the challenges we have here. I want to get you the answer to the trivia question before we run out of time. You guessed uh, roughly 200 square miles, which I think is a, a fairly good guess, um, given how hard that is to figure out if it's not a stat that's on your head. Uh, it is 91.5685 square miles. So not roughly a, not 92 a great square. guess then. <laughs> you were within an order of magnitude. Uh, you were half, uh, d d just double. Yeah. So I think that's I, just great. I think I was overestimating how far it is across, probably, because it takes so damn long to get from east to west in Seattle. Yeah, uh, that could be. That's where the overestimation was. <laughs> and then you, you broke down about 25% water. Uh, it is three square miles of water. Wow, really? Only that. of land. Yeah, that's, you know... Much of Lake Washington is uh, part of other cities, and that's the issue, because Lake Washington, of course, an enormous body of water, but uh, a whole bunch of cities divvying it up. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing, and now we all learned something today. I learned something this morning when I looked it up, uh, but everybody here on the call and, and uh, listening on the podcast learned something today. Uh, so we're about out of time. I would love to have dived deeper into what you want to see for the future of Seattle. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to let you tuck that in if you'd like uh, when I ask the standard question of any concluding thoughts. Yeah, Seattle, King County need to become what we want our nation to be, which is a place with enormous opportunity that is accessible to all. We can be the place where there are great public goods like transit and the natural environment and a place where everybody who's determined, who has ability, who, who has drive, can succeed economically and uh, do that thing we we're all promised, which is do better than our parents. And we've got to be we've got to be purposeful about that. It can't just be for the lucky few. Uh, but this economy is robust enough that everyone who's historically been left out can get on board, and uh, we can really be an example for other metropolitan regions 
that are struggling with uh, income inequality and the uh, negative social consequences of not including everyone. Executive Constantine, thank you so much for joining me yet again on Seattle Growth Podcast. I appreciate your time and your perspective very much. Thanks so much. Next up, I'm joined by Julia Nagel, a leader of architectural design at Hewitt. You'll get her perspective on the future of our city in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that if you are a product manager or aspire to be one, join me in the Product Management Center. We've got all sorts of opportunities to engage with our students, with our faculty, and with other product management professionals. So do a search for the Product Management Center and join me at our next event on March 4th, the Chief Product Officer of Payscale. Go to foster.uw.edu slash FTP to learn more about the Foster the Products series that's open to the public. Now, join me as I sit down with Julia Nagel. I am here with Julia Nagel, the Principal and Director of Design for the Architecture Studio at Hewitt. Julia, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And so I forgot to mention you're also a Husky affiliate professor here at the University of Washington. I am. I've been teaching at the College of Built Environments uh, since 2016. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a native from Northeast Pennsylvania. I uh, went to Lehigh University for my undergraduate degree and University of Maryland College Park for my Master of Architecture degree. I moved out to Seattle in 1997. And, and the reasons for that is probably I'm one of the very few people that didn't move out for all the powerful natural environment and all the great hiking and all the great outdoor activity. I moved here because my wife was from here. And we actually met in Rome when I was studying abroad uh, this a summer before we before I moved out here. Drawing in the Pantheon one day, I ran into this um, this this person who we had a really great conversation. Two weeks later, we ran into each other again in Florence, and so we've been together ever since. And as soon as I graduated at Maryland, I I moved to Seattle, and it's uh, been here ever since essentially. So tell me a little bit about Hewitt. Well, Hewitt is a uh, design architecture firm. We have landscape architecture, architecture, and transportation. We've been in the city of Seattle since 1975. Myself, along with my five partners, we represent the second generation of leadership at Hewitt. Um, we're dedicated to the urban experience. We love complex urban conditions. We love working in the city of Seattle and contributing to its environment. Tell me a little bit about how COVID has impacted your business. You know, sure, it's impacted everyone's business, uh, absolutely. Um, for us, in our studio, we're set up as a classic design studio. So anyone who's ever um, studied architecture, what you experience in school is what we try to replicate in the office. So it's a highly collaborative environment. We build a lot of models. We do a lot of drawings and pin, pin them up on the wall. It's a very sort of um, a highly interactive uh, process with a number of different individuals sharing their ideas. And so then when you're working remotely, as we have been since last March, um, that sort of serendipitous exchange of ideas is much more difficult to replicate in a remote situation. So we have some technologies that help us do that. Uh, but we, um, we, we definitely uh, miss that sort of face-to-face -face easy interaction. Uh, it's, it's much more of an intentional act uh, to connect with one another nowadays. And then with the pandemic also, being problematic for so many small businesses and so many employers here in the uh, city of Seattle. Has that economic impact of the pandemic affected Hewitt in some way? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, as I said, we're three different studios and we actually have three different business models in our transportation studios, which does a lot of light rail station work. Uh, Mass Transit um, gets a lot of its funding for the ST2, ST3 
uh, 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 design projects. We're working on a number of stations right now, and that design process will get affected by the funding that occurs if ridership drops. So that certainly affected that studio. Our studio, a lot of our work is mixed-use residential work and mixed-use commercial work in downtown Seattle. So our work is in the fabric that's most of the city, which is driven by private side real estate development economics. And, you know, when there's uncertainty, like in any condition, whether it's in this situation, like a pandemic or any other kind of situation which causes uncertainty, you know, it'll have a tendency for people to make their um, business decisions to develop and to contribute to our city uh, in a more cautious and slower uh, sort of pace. And so that has affected our current projects and that affects sort of our pipeline as well. How has navigating through the pandemic in Seattle, is there any aspect of this city that's made things easier for you or for your business in these troubled times? You know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, um, of what, what ma makes things easier. You know, obviously there's, you know, a little less traffic, uh, you know, if you are, do want to get around the city by car or even by bike. Um, but for the most part, when we're thinking about moving forward, we're, we're thinking about the sort of long-term development of our business as well as the health of, health of the city. And that concerns us, concerns us greatly. Um, cities are very resilient um, places. You know, they've survived all kinds of pandemics. They've sur sur survived all kinds of really tough conditions. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, the, the things that make Seattle great will continue to make Seattle great. But it does take care and feeding uh, to make sure that the business and economic and political conditions are, you know, in a place that really make people from all over the planet want to be here, develop here, live here, build their businesses here. All right, so we're going to talk about the future of Seattle and the future of your business in a moment. But first, new this year on Seattle Growth Podcast is trivia, where I, I ask my guests <laughs> oh, uh, no. Seattle area questions. And so here is my question for you. Who was the first African-American mayor of Seattle? Oh, who was the first African-American mayor in Seattle? Before my time, you know, I... I, I bet you if you told me it would ring a bell, but it's not ringing a bell this morning after a couple of late nights. So I apologize. Don't have that one <laughs> no, in front of my mind. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and that one's a hard one to guess because you would just be making up a name. that. Uh, so that one is a tough one to guess. So I'll give you something that you could guess. What year do you think the first African-American mayor of Seattle took office? Oh, what year? Yeah. Can I do decade? Sure. 70s. All right. So you think Seattle elected its first African-American mayor in the 70s. You will hear the name of the first African-American mayor and the, the day he took office in a little bit. Uh, we'll keep okay. you and the listeners I did not suspense. know I was going to be quizzed. <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, it, it's always fun for me. And then sometimes my guests ask me a quiz question and then I get the panic that, that comes with asking, oh. being asked a question. But you're welcome to put oh. that onus back okay. on me if you would like. All right. Now, I appreciate that offer. Uh, let's transition now to Seattle in general, uh, away from the pandemic for a moment. What changes in the last 10 months or a year or so have struck you uh, and that have impacted you personally most negatively? Well, so, you know, there's, there's the work that we do, right? And I, I think just in general, anything like the situation in the pandemic, it, it's going to add another stressor to anyone's life on top of everything else that is involved with, you know, just, uh, you know, being you. Um, I 
live with my wife and our 15 year old son. He's a high school student. I think that's been very challenging for him. Uh, and I think for a lot of students it's been really challenging. So with my wife and I, that's been a, a, a really um, big focus of ours is, you know, as adults, we kind of understand how you can replicate a certain structure to your everyday life. I, I do that. I sort of wake up the same time. I do my morning run at the same time. I get ready for work at the same time. We're very fortunate that we have a situation, you know, in our home to where I have a home office and my wife has a home office. We have a dedicated space. We're not sort of on top of one another in the dining room, which many families are. And I think, and I think that's, that's really challenging for, for younger people who um, are just sort of you know, learning the basics, let alone how do you deal with the basics in these advanced situations. So I think that's been a, a really tough thing for us is trying to uh, keep a consistent structure and help uh, help Sam uh, do that and navigate school. And any other changes that you've noticed in the city of Seattle that have impacted you negatively? Well, you know, again, you know, the the situation I think is is a is a a very um, unique and dramatic situation the pandemic so that will change the sort of the active street life you know of the city um and you know and as i said that our office and and what we do every day is so we're so dedicated in having vibrant uh active uh pedestrian experiences in that fabric of the city in between the sports complex and the museum is sort of this 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 sort of life where we develop projects and and we want to see great um great uh places in the city and of course so that will change and i do see it as a temporary thing i see it as something that uh will belt bounce back fairly quickly uh given the you know the direction i think that eventually this pandemic will 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 not be you know the way it is today um so you know for us it really is that sort of everyday city life uh you know, we we're in the, our office is right in downtown Seattle. Our projects, a lot of our projects are in downtown Seattle. And, you know, even in the way we do work, we rely on the city. Uh, you know, there's been some cases where if we're trying to understand a design issue at one of our current projects, something we're working on, I'll round up some of the people who we're working with and say, let's go, go for a walk. Let's go get some coffee. Let's talk about this particular issue. Let's look at different examples in the city. Let's use the city and all the great qualities it has to help understand how we can continue to contribute to it. And so that life is, is, is on pause right now, but we do see it as a pause. And so we're going to get to the positive changes in just a moment. But first, you've mentioned that you work a lot in, in the city and in the downtown core. Can you share where somebody might have seen your personal work uh, with sure. Hewitt? Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, when we talk about do, uh, working in complex urban conditions, we don't necessarily mean just the physical environment that can be complex. Oftentimes it is also the physical environment, the conditions of the site, the neighbors, the complexity of a project. Um, but it's also, you know, having the expertise to navigate and get something uh, built and get it to be, to be something that's realized. That's also very complex. But a couple of our projects that you might be familiar with is the Capitol Hill Transit Oriented Development. So those, uh, there are two buildings on Broadway between the two uh, entrances and exits of the light rail station, which our office also did. And so, you know, that, that project was really wonderful in that that's a really um, almost civic part of the Capitol Hill neighborhood, which had a lot of attention to it. It was a complex urban condition in that there was community groups that were, that were really 
involved in uh, in wanting to contribute to what the, the the transit oriented development adjacent to the light rail station was was how that was going to be developed. And so that group formed 10 years before we even decided to uh, before we were even designing. And so that was a that's a really that's one example of a complex urban condition and how we, and where we contribute to the city. Another in downtown Seattle um, just completed this past summer is the Emerald Tower, which is a 40 story uh, mixed use residential uh, residential project, which is actually um, right next door to our office. So when I looked out my window, you know, the project was 18 feet away, which is a which is a real treat. But the, the Emerald really is about creating places for people to live right in downtown that they don't have to rely on uh, cars or not uh, not even a lot of uh, mass transit. You're right next to downtown. You're right next to the Pike Place Market. And, you know, the, the great thing about that is you're putting a bunch of people next to each other that might be able to share good ideas no differently than what we do in the office maybe different subject matter but that's what we think is so great about the city is you have a certain amount of density where, where great ideas can be shared with other people who have great ideas and that's how a lot of innovation happens and that's what we're really excited about and so the pandemic pushed a lot of people indoors pushed a lot of small businesses uh, out of business uh, it's been quite trying for a lot of people but are there any positives that you've seen in the last year of positive changes you've seen in Seattle? Yeah, you know, there's and sometimes it's in, in, in little small ways, you know, time will tell how this experience has shaped our work life or even our urban life. Uh, but when we were teaching the students this past fall at the University of Washington, their area of study was in, in, in Ballard. And Ballard, along with many other places in the city, what we've noticed is the adapt the adaption that a lot of businesses, especially restaurants, um, were taking on to where they would start to uh, sort of take over portions of the parking lane and the sidewalk and they would ex expand outdoors into the street and even shut down some of the streets. So they were just pedestrian uh, pedestrian streets. And we think outdoor dining all year round, lots of countries do that. Maybe that's something we'll become more accustomed to more variety and using that street edge, not just the sidewalk or the street front that might open into the restaurant, but spilling out across through the parking lanes, more pedestrian um, designated streets, less vehicular traffic. We see a lot of those things right now, and maybe some of those things will continue on as well. And you've talked a couple times now about bringing complex, uh, solving complex problems and bringing different groups to the table in your design work. Can you share any lessons from your design work that might be helpful for the listener as they're trying to shape the future of Seattle in the way they'd like to see it? Yeah, sure. Um, we do go through that complex process. That is, you know, the city really through the design review process has a big focus on community involvement as well as the involvement of the designers and the, the city officials. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a process there that, you know, uh, like the Capitol Hill Transit Oriented Development, that community group was very involved and was really looking forward and hopeful for having a great contribution to their neighborhood. We do other projects where we found similar experiences. Sometimes there are, there are experiences where, where people, they have their vested interests who are already established in the neighborhood and they have different ideas about how the neighborhood should develop. There's always sort of unease about change uh, and so navigating those things as well. But I would say if you're sort of talking about design, 
and how can you share some of the insight of this process and what is on our mind for people who are maybe contributing to the process is, you know, we think about density as a positive thing, you know, that sort of putting people in the same place to share ideas. We don't associate the, the, the definition of density with overcrowding. And I think oftentimes it gets, it gets uh, conflated with overcrowding. It also gets associated with traffic congestions, gets associated maybe with uh, ideas about gentrification, ideas about, uh, you know, sort of inequity where, where service economy maybe can't afford to live downtown. And so there's all these things involved, but it really is like, what can we do to contribute to the environment to make it more dense? Seattle Times uh, in 2017 published an article talking about the densities and compared Seattle to places such as New York and San Francisco. Seattle, it, from its landmass to its how dense it is, if we were as dense as Manhattan, we would only need 28% of our land area in the city. So you can imagine sort of that sustainable idea of using less of a footprint as being a valuable thing. We're only 44% as dense as San Francisco. So, you know, the idea of building like the Emerald, tall buildings downtown is really appealing for us for those kinds of situations. And so when we think about density, we think about good density and, and good density really has to be involved of going through that community driven process, the design review process, our own skills and talents to develop good buildings that are good for it's uh, good for the existing context that we're thinking about. And so, you know, I would say that this idea of density, you know, maybe not associate it with traffic congestion and other sort of economic problems that are a broad scale um, issue uh, as well and, and not really um, a design driven uh, condition so much. We've seen an unprecedented amount of people and money moving into Seattle in the past decade. And my question for you is now, as we're in this seemingly a transition point, what do you see for the future of Seattle? And let's talk maybe the next 10 years and also the next 10 months. Right. Well, time will tell. And I think there's a lot involved. You know, there's the public health pandemic issue, of course. Then there's the business conditions. Are the business conditions correct? I mean, that involves politics, that involves economies, that involves, you know, a great number, a number of things. You know, I, I know for our work that there, there seems to be a lot of continued interest to be part of the city. You know, cities are really resilient things and everyone knows where great cities are because that's where the best sites are. You know, the best sites on the planets are taken and you know where they are because that's where the cities are. And Seattle's one of those places. And I don't see that, you know, changing, uh, you know, in certainly not in 10 months. Now, it's like anything else in time, you know, conditions have to be have to be right. You know, we want to contribute to the city in a positive way that makes good, vibrant communities, good, vibrant downtown areas. And, you know, that affects that 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 to make that happen. The, the people who contribute to that is, you know, the, the the business community, the design community, city officials. You know, there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts involved that um, I don't think I would be expert enough to sort of, you know, foresee or crystal ball for you what would happen. But I think the conditions are right for uh, continue um, uh, growth where we have a number of clients uh, that are from uh, overseas and they really want to be part of Seattle. They want to uh, make places for uh, people to live and shop and work. And I think it's a really exciting thing and I think it's going to continue to be exciting. But I am, again, sort of an optimist.
What would you ask of the listener to help create the future for Seattle that you would like to see? What would I ask the listeners? Gee, I don't know if I have that sort of power. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would say, I, I would say that, you know, for the things that we do, um, it really comes down to being believers in cities. So I would ask people to believe in cities, uh, believe that they are, they are really great, amazing, you know, uh, uh, places to be. All right, and now I've got to get you the answer to the trivia question that you've waited patiently for. I asked you the first African-American mayor of Seattle. You guessed the 1970s, and it was Norm Rice, and Norm Rice took office in 1990. 1990. Well, uh, thank you very much, and I knew it was like right here, because yes, of course I've heard that name. So 1990, Norm Rice, and he appeared, uh, his uh, image, and he was talked about in the documentary I made about the Central District on the brink and a very important uh, oh, person great. here in Seattle. Yeah. So now it is time. We've covered all sorts of topics here, and it's time for you to say any concluding thoughts that you have. Well, thank you for having me. I, I hope uh, sharing with you my experiences are useful for your audience. I think that's the, the, the main goal. And, you know, really in doing these kinds of things, I hope shedding a, a little bit of light by sharing a little bit of my background about how things happen in the city uh, in terms of the built environment, uh, that, you know, none of it is automatic and it really does re re uh, re uh, require a lot of people who are dedicated to it. I'm glad to be part of that process. And I look forward to continuing on at, at, at Hewitt with my partners. And we're looking forward to, we're looking forward to this next year and, and, um, and, and developing, you know, the work that we have now, we have some exciting things in the office and we're looking forward to seeing those realized as well. So Julia Nagel, Principal and Director of Design for the Architecture Studio at Hewitt, also uh, teaches here at the University of Washington. Julia, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you for having me, Jeff. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I love hearing from listeners about how they're reacting to the interviews. And if you are in product management or want to get into product management, check out the Product Management Center at the UW Foster School of Business. We've got a lot of great events that are open to the public, and I would hope to see you there. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for listening and joining me on this journey in this special episode of Seattle Growth Podcast.